0: Uh, this is Al and you're tuning in to Let Us Reason. Hope you're having a fabulous Saturday and a fabulous week and a fabulous uh, new year. Uh, thank you, as always, uh, for, uh, you know, basically tuning in and uh, listening to us, uh, encouraging us, uh, supporting us, and sharing even our material with others. We've been hearing a lot of compliments from many people, and uh, slowly and gradually, it seems like many people are taking note that we have this podcast. So that's, that's wonderful. Uh, it seemed like some people didn't realize that uh, this is an ongoing ministry that we do uh, week in and week out. So we are so thankful that the Lord is using this opportunity to broaden people's knowledge. Now, today I want to talk about something that happened recently. Uh, it happened actually uh, towards the end of November, beginning of December. It has to do with the uh, basically the London attack, uh, the uh, knife attack, if you wish by a gentleman uh, whose name was Usman Khan, and uh, what I wanted to talk about is the idea that it is possible to rehabilitate and uh, uh, re-indoctrinate a radical Muslim. Now, let's start, first of all, by defining what the West considers to be a radical Muslim. A radical Muslim, from a Western standpoint, it appears to me that in their view, meaning the West and their view, is a person who's a Muslim, yet he strayed, basically, away from the principal teachings of Islam. In other words, those who consider someone to be a radical Muslim, they look at Islam as a religion that is peaceful religion, that does not in any way promote or endorses any acts of violence or fighting in a holy war. And right here, we have a problem. Because the Quran is rich with commandments for its followers to fight, whether the fighting is in the form of antagonism or humiliation or literal physical fight. Any way you look at it, the Quran is rich with those commandments. Specifically, if you go and read chapter 9 of the Quran, and it's available online for people, you can read it from the first verse to the last verse, and see for yourself how many times in that particular chapter, which is considered to be uh, either the last or one of the last Uh, Chapters that were revealed by the Prophet of Islam before his death. And if we apply the principle or the doctrine of abrogation or cancellation, then this chapter negated any peaceful passages that came before it. In fact, this chapter, chapter 9 of the Quran, is notorious for a couple of features. I'll mention two. This chapter does not have the opening saying, which is called the Besmele, in the name of Allah, the most compassionate, the most merciful. Uh, uh, Basically, the reason for that um, is considered by many scholars that the chapter itself does not teach security or peace, and there is no need to invoke such a phrase. I mean, that's a telling right there, actually. And the second feature that is troubling in this chapter is what it's called the sword verse in chapter 9, verse 5. I mean, just the title, sword verse, uh, tells you something. This sword verse was responsible to negate and cancel, in one account, 117 peaceful passages. In another account, 124 peaceful passages in the Quran. Now think about this. One verse canceled that many peaceful passages. And you're telling me that a radical Muslim somehow is not following the true teaching of his book. Now listen, folks, you can't kid with me. I was a radical Muslim, if I want to use this title. I was a very devout Muslim. I wanted to fight in the cause of Allah. I wanted to go to Afghanistan in the 1979 when the, the Soviet invaded Afghanistan. Or at least since 1979, I wanted to join what we know today as Al-Qaeda. Back then it wasn't called Al-Qaeda. It was called basically the Fighters for God, the Mujahideen. And I wanted to be part of that brotherly band to go and fight and hopefully even wishing to die as a martyr so that I can make it straight to paradise. So there is a calling and there is a doctrine called the doctrine of jihad. There is a book that teaches this, that's the Quran. There are instructions in there that Muslims consider to be divine instructions. And there is a model that was set before these Mujahideen or Jihadis, and that's the model of the Prophet of Islam, who himself waged war against the infidels, and waged war against the Jews, and also antagonized the Christians, and engaged in real physical battles. All that to say, Do not insult our intelligence when you say or when someone claims that a radical Muslim is not a true follower of Islam. Now, why do I say this? It is very sad that this person that we started our podcast talking about, whose name is Osman Khan, who basically stabbed a number of people uh, in, like I said, late... Uh, in in late uh, uh, November, early December, resulting in the death of two people. This person, who did this, actually was going through a so-called, basically, uh, re-radicalization kind of a program uh, that was enforced or implemented in England. One of the people he stabbed and killed is a young man who was doing his graduate studies basically uh, in Cambridge and part of a group that is, um, you know, pushing for this um, uh, re-basically habilitation project. And Usman Khan was his showcase, was his star example, because Usman Khan was caught earlier in 2012 uh, basically for acts of terrorism and was sentenced to go to jail for a long time. But then after a few years, upon the launch of this program, he wrote a letter to the board and to this person that he killed later, making the appeal that he is willing to go through such a program, get rehabilitated, and redirect his life now and uh, claiming that he was deceived, claiming that he was misled, basically uh, misguided by his previous actions. Pure deception. That's all I can say. Why? Because after his release, early release, based on this, and joining this program, he was invited the day he was going uh, and the, way, the day he committed this crime, he was invited to go to a conference by this person that he killed who hits this program, and he was supposed to go there and share about how this program succeeded, so that now he could be used as their, uh, basically their pawn, so that more and more radicals in prison could be released as a result of this. What did Osman do? He went, basically, to this conference, and he was wearing a fake, basically, suicide vest. Nobody noticed. Nobody noticed that he was wearing a fake suicide vest. I mean, what a joke, actually, if nobody can notice. That tells you about the type of security, actually, that was there. And he went and stabbed two people, a lady who died, and this person who heads this program, who actually was gracious to him, he was responsible for releasing him from prison. This is how Usman Khan paid him back, actually, by killing him. All that to say is in the mind of Osman Khan, he wasn't doing anything immoral. In fact, the prophet of Islam, in one of his sayings, hadith said, war is deceit. Let me repeat it. War is deceit. You do whatever it takes to fight the real fight and the battle for Islam, and make Islam known. So this is what Osman Khan did. He deceived those people in the committee into believing that he really was open for the idea of getting re-basically radicalized uh, or uh, basically rehabilitated and uh, uh, change his attitude and behavior, recant his... Uh, Basically, um, uh, you know, radical, um, if you wish, uh, motives, and somehow turn into a different Muslim person. In other words, Osman was lying and saying, I'm willing to ignore the Quran, I'm willing to ignore the model of the Prophet, I'm willing to disobey Allah and the Prophet of Islam, who commanded me, actually, to go and... uh, to do fighting and waging war against the enemies of Allah, including Christians and Jews and infidels in general. That's what he was saying. Why do I say this? Because his actions proved that he was lying. After many years of going through this program, what was the outcome? A fake suicide vest, a knife, and a killing of two people in the name of Islam. So, folks... I want to emphasize to you the following. There is no such thing as a radical Muslim. There is a devout Muslim, an obedient Muslim, who follows the instructions of the Quran and the Prophet of Islam to the letter, and as part of this, he has the duty and the responsibility either to wage a physical war and sacrifice him himself or financially support those who believe in this doctrine. Number two, there is no such thing as rehabilitating a devout Muslim. You're asking the Muslim basically to recant their faith, ignore their teaching, and actually, basically, do not follow the instructions of the Quran. Who in the world will do something like this if, uh, I mean, I should say which Muslim technically speaking, in the right mind, is willing to ignore their own teaching. Islam is a religion of works, a religion that emphasizes good deeds and good behavior according to the standards of the Quran and the model of the Prophet of Islam. Any Muslim who is willing to ignore such teaching is no Muslim at all. Is actually not a real Muslim that can be trusted by the Islamic community, or a Muslim who is obedient to the Islamic teaching. All that to say, Usman Khan, in his mind, he did everything by the book. He deceived his way into getting out of jail so that he can accomplish his dream goal of dying as a martyr. He was shot by the police. He died. But in his mind, he actually probably at that moment, as they were threatening to shoot him, He was welcoming that opportunity, thinking he's going straight to paradise. There are 72 virgins waiting for him. And that he will be in the company of the elite martyrs, basically, in heaven. And that's the problem that we are faced with. I know exactly what was going on in the mind of Osman Khan. I was one who wanted to do exactly the same thing, die as a martyr. Now, he chose the knife attack. I wanted to go to Afghanistan and fight there. Any anyway, you look at it, those radical Muslims who are waging these kind of wars and willing to fight and die at any cost, they, in their mind, are very obedient to the teaching. In fact, they consider to, uh, themselves to be superior to the other Muslims who are not doing anything like this. And if you don't believe me, the Quran itself says, not equal! Are those who are sacrificing, and I'm paraphrasing it right now, the, the verse, who are sacrificing their life basically as compared to those who sit behind, and some translation will add at home, technically speaking. This is the difference between the Osman Khan and the likes and those Muslims who will come on TV and try to tell you that this is not Islam. In fact, There is a trend that has been taking place lately. A specific uh, sect of Islam always uh, becomes the face of Islam after attacks like this take place, and that's the Ahmadiyya Muslims. Ahmadiyya Muslims is a branch of Islam that doesn't believe in jihad, period. I give them that credit. They don't believe in waging war. But here's a problem. Ahmadiyya Islam is a heretical form of Islam. If you ask mainstream Muslims, Ahmadiyya Islam is a heresy, is not the orthodoxy of Islam. So how can a heresy represent an orthodox view of the teaching of Islam when Muslims or mainstream Muslims do not even care for what Ahmadiyya Islam teaches? All that to say is that there are some things here for us to consider. What I'm saying is, Whenever there is an attack like this, a knife attack, a suicide bomb, you name it, whatever the form of attack is, typically ISIS and the like of ISIS will come basically celebrating and claim that it was one of their fighters. Regardless whether the person was following ISIS or Al-Qaeda or just being a homegrown terrorist, they are following pure orthodoxy teachings from the Quran and the Hadith that demand that a true true Muslim, a pure Muslim, a righteous Muslim, stand firm in the face of idolatry against the infidels and sacrifice, notice, two things. Either their life, how, how will you sacrifice your life if not fighting? Or their finances, by doing what? Supporting others who want to do this. This is why I find it quite shocking and uh, disappointing and also uh, insulting when Western governments act like they know the solution to the problem by assuming that you can just ask a Muslim to abandon everything they believe in. Now, you're going to make a case and you tell me, well, my neighbor who's a Muslim doesn't believe in jihad. I get it. Your neighbor is not a devout Muslim, and thank God for that. And notice, the more devout a Muslim becomes, the more radical and the more in tone, basically, with acts of terrorism. Why? You give me an idea. Why do you think that happens? Anytime you look at these cases, people around them, they'll tell you, you know, they used to be wonderful, nice, and everything. And then we notice a change in their behavior. When did that change take place? They became more and more religious fanatics, more and more fundamentalists more and more true followers of the commands of the quran and the prophet and the model that was set for them this is why this is extremely important for us to pay attention to and make certain that we keep in mind that no muslim who is let's call him radical using this term or fundamentalist is going to purely and sincerely abandon everything they believe in. So what is the solution then? Well, that's to the church. I'm talking to the church right now. I can't count on a government to make a uh, come up with a solution. The government will take a fight, basically, uh, as a solution. They'll fight the problem. And that's what's going to happen. And you're going to continue to fight radical Islam until Jesus comes, by the way. And that leads me now to speak to the believers. Only the gospel of Christ. Can transform the mind of a radical Muslim. By the renewing of the mind. That's what the scripture teaches. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. Only when the mind changes. How does the mind changes? When the Holy Spirit convicts you. And changes you. When the gospel basically transforms your life when the death of christ on the cross overwhelms you when you believe that there is no hope and no name under heaven by which we are saved other than the name of christ only then that a radical muslim a fundamentalist muslim a devout muslim or any religious fanatic for that matter will change and become a humble follower of Christ if they sincerely obey Christ and follow his commandment and allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct every step they take. That's called sanctification. All that to say is I was there and many like me were there, meaning we were at the radical side of things. And today we are radical for Christ. We're radical to share peace, not to share violence. We're radical... To share the truth, not a lie. We are radical to sacrifice our very freedom for the sake of liberating those who are in bondage to Satan. That's the transformation that takes place. Jesus never ever asked us to wage a war, a physical one. He actually warned us that we will expect war to be waged against us. That the enemies, whether physical, flesh and blood, or spiritual are going to wage a fierce war against us for the sake of the name of Christ and he asks us to rejoice when the world hates us for his name's sake why in the world would Jesus tell me this unless he knew that I am NOT going to be welcomed by anybody whenever I bring his name into a discussion that's the real transformation when you are willingly fight in a fight to share the truth of Christ, knowing that you are the underdog, you are the minority, you are the hated party, you are not welcomed, and you might even lose your life on account of sharing the truth and the gospel. That's, my friends, what would change a radical Muslim, just one like me, or as I change myself. It was the gospel of Christ, the life of Christ through believers, the love of Christ through the born-again believers, and the message of the Bible, the gospel, the message that Paul explains in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That's the power, the transforming power, the power that changes you from in, from within, and from inside. And, folks, without the gospel, nothing will change a person. And without the good news of the gospel, there will be no good news whatsoever coming out of a radical. A radical is devoted to serving their ideology because they're sold into it. They believe in it. They're convinced of it. I can't help it but to remember the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. His prayer was, It is my prayer for the Israelites to be saved. For I can testify that they are zealot, but their zeal is without knowledge. That's my prayer also to my radical Muslim friends, my zealot Muslim friends. That their hearts will be changed, because I know that they are zealous, but their zeal is without knowledge. And only Christ can transform them and bring them to glory and give them that eternal life and that assurance of salvation. My time is up. We encourage you to go to our YouTube channel, FIRA International, and subscribe there and become a Patreon patron. And give if the Lord put it in your heart as little as one dollar and as much as you feel that is appropriate to help a ministry like ours. Thank you so much. May the Lord bless you richly.